0: I am now resigned to the fact that there will always be buzzards who just don't get it. This is never going to go away. Never. We've tried and tried and tried and tried hours of time and effort on this podcast to help educate and train this audience. But the audience continues to grow. New listeners continue to wander over to the show. And they just don't understand how this show works. I am not here to be your personal fantasy team caddy. That's not my job. I have no interest in it whatsoever, and it's not something I'm ever going to do. In this world, you can choose your own adventure. Thankfully, we live in a country where our employment is not assigned at birth. Thankfully, I can choose my own adventure and I choose to focus all of my time and energy on being a creator. Creating written content and audio content and video content for the widest possible audience. That's my sole focus. I have no interest in answering trade questions or start sit questions on Twitter. I'm just not going to do it. But I feel like at this point every day... A new entitled buzzard gets unreasonably upset at my unwillingness to provide free advice. It's bizarre that I am operating in an industry where the majority of the members assume that they can consume expertise for free. Like This is the baseline assumption of the fantasy gamer, and it has to change. It has to, and I'm willing to be a pioneer setting out on my own to change the paradigm. I'm not offering free advice to those that don't appreciate this show. That's it. If we had to distill down the mission statement, it is that. Because you get these drive-by buzzards that I've never seen on Twitter before dropping these banal starts at questions trade questions on my lap expecting an immediate response and they get one they get an immediate response but it's not oh i'll take kenny Britt in that exchange go with willie sneed and a second round pick in 2018 no my response is, if you're a supporter of the podcast, a patron, then I would love to answer your question question on the Patreon platform. And anyone can go become a patron, patreon.com, search Podfather, and support the show. And more and more people are supporting the show every day. And it is invigorating. It signals to me that this podcast has a future, it has longevity. And the reason I know is because of the patrons. It's not just the patrons contributing, which they do at the $6 level or the $8 level, but it's the engagement on that platform. We open up forums. For discussion and the feedback from the patrons and the questions from the patrons are what drive the topics on this show. How do you think I come up with the questions to ask the guests? And today we're going to have Warren Sharp on the show. Where do you think a lot of the questions that I'm gonna ask Warren Sharp come from? It's the patron community. These are the producers of the show. So they're not just going to Patreon, downloading the app, which is what you should be doing. I know for a lot of you, it's a pain in the ass to go to patreon.com, open up a web browser on your phone. Don't do that. Go to the app store, download the Patreon app, and join the Roto Underworld community on the app. It's much easier that way. Again, search Podfather and contribute. And it's not just a contribution. It's not, oh, hey, good job. Here's a tip tossing a quarter in my hat. That's not what Patreon is. You get value in return. You get a t-shirt or a hoodie. The t-shirt is a 50-50 blend. Excellent quality, as is the hoodie. Super comfy. It's not cheap, scratchy cotton. These are high-quality shirts that are made locally here in Fairfield, Connecticut. So those shirts are delivered by two small businesses, Roto Underworld and Minuteman Press. And then not only that, you get an extra show per week, the backstage pass show. The Backstage Past Show, I talk about my plans for the week for the show. We discuss past shows. We discussed the makings of the last Quincy and Nunwa rap that we treated you to. And anything that happens to be agitating me at any particular time. Those shows are only for the patrons. And then beyond that, you get to be a show producer. And ask me the occasional trade question. So this is not a gratuity. It's a transaction. But Nick Cochitelli was amused by this offer. This quid pro quo exchange of value. When I wrote back, hey, you should join the underworld community on Patreon. Would love to give you feedback. He wrote, LOL, that's a shame. LOL, that's a shame. Laugh out loud at supporting this show. Keeping it on the air. Laugh out loud at supporting creators. It's a shame. Yeah, it's really a shame. Aw, jeez. Aw, you're not gonna give me my free thing I asked for? Jeez, guys, this is a shame. You want me to give you real money for analysis? Who's ever heard of that? That's pretty dumb. So Nick Cochitelli does not believe in exchanging value for value. Nick Cochitelli conveniently forgot that once upon a time, he was a helpless infant. And his parents went out into the world as I am going out into the world and doing a podcast. His parents went out into the world offering to exchange a good or a service for money for currency, which they then exchanged for food for little Nicky. Just as I exchange the income from Patreon to buy food for my daughter, Vivian. And thank God that it exists because if Patreon didn't exist, there would be no podcast because I didn't know what to do at this time last year. I was licensing the podcast out to other platforms, but I wasn't making enough money. It wasn't sustainable. And a friend of mine who's an ultra marathoner listens to a podcast called Runner's World. And Runner's World uses Patreon to monetize the podcast to ensure that it's a sustainable business. And eureka! I found a way to sustain the podcast into the future. And the idea that listeners would go and support the show on Patreon is laugh out loud funny. It's just a shame. It's a shame that that's how this works. This value for value exchange. This quid pro quo relationship. It's a shame. You can't say quid pro quo without thinking about the silence of the lambs. Quid pro quo, Clarice. Quid pro quo. The lambs, Clarice. The lambs. But I don't think Nick Cochitelli hates artists. I don't think he hates creators. I don't think there's some ideological rebellion against supporting content creators. I just think there's a combination of apathy and information inundation that has infected so many that consume online content and digital content. I get it. Netflix is an incredible value. You no longer have to pay $4 at the local movie store to rent a video. It's just on Netflix. $10 $10 a month. You can watch 50 movies for $10. That's the new economy, the new digital economy that we currently live in. You can blame Napster. You can blame whoever you want, but that's just the reality. That's the current paradigm. But now with platforms like Patreon, the paradigm is shifting. The ability to monetize art is catching up with the online platforms To distribute the art. The distribution channels came first. The monetization is coming second. And all I would ask you is, if you get excited when a new episode of this show drops, if you carve out time in your day to listen to this show, then you're receiving something of value from the content creator. And I would ask you to send value back in exchange. That's it. And then as it turns out, this creator, me, I'm layering a whole bunch more value on top of that to create the no-brainer value proposition for anyone that wants to go to Patreon and become an official supporter of the show because I really do view the world split. You have the genuine supporters of the show and you have everybody else. I don't give everybody else a moment's thought. But on a daily basis, I give the supporters of the show a lot of thought. And what I hear from the Underworld minions and buzzards is that once you join the Underworld on Patreon, you actually get more enjoyment from the show because you get a preview into what's coming next and you don't feel guilty for not contributing to something that has value. All the while, your neighbor is dropping an envelope in the collection basket and you're just passing the collection basket to the next guy, hoping no one noticed. Well, I notice, I notice when Nick Cochitelli just slides the basket to the next guy, hoping someone else is going to contribute to ensure that this free podcast that he enjoys stays on the air.
1: I want to stay on the air,
0: right? I want to do this show for the next decade. I love doing the show. It's my favorite activity in this world outside of spending time with my family. When I'm not doing that, I wanna be podcasting. So I'm sincerely asking you directly, member of the audience, please become a patron. You, Jimmy, Timmy, Tommy, Danny, Peter, Brian, Randy, Phil, Mark, William, Lenny, Steve, Maddie, Bruce, and Diane. Let's go! Let's go! Let's do it! Let's change the paradigm, because it needs to change. Creators are not being properly compensated for their art. Now, you could say this is an art, this is a podcast, this is art in the audio medium. It's not Michelangelo, I know, it's crude and rude, but I do create it out of nothing. And I'm not going to apologize for insisting on a value-for-value transaction out here in the world. And I'm fine being the first fantasy football analyst to not compromise and to insist that there be an exchange of value. But that's not what the buzzards on Twitter think I should be doing. That's not how they think I should be handling myself on social media. At L underscore Albatross writes, playing nice on Twitter would probably increase your podcast downloads and in turn drive ad revenue. Thanks for that. The unsolicited free advice coming back my way. Wow. Hey, I should really listen to L Albatross. Sounds like a social media marketing whiz. And then in reply to El Albatross, you always get this helpful observation. Well, I asked the same question of multiple fantasy experts that are highly respected in the industry and have over 50,000 followers. Why should I ever pay when I can get advice from these experts for free? Ah, yes. Yes, why change the paradigm when you can just go with the status quo? Just go with the status quo. This is how it's always been done. Fantasy football analysts sitting in front of a computer for hours answering questions for free. Why? I have no idea. It's not my fault that there are other highly respected analysts that are willing to give away hours of their day without receiving any value in return. There's a word for those people. They're called Marks. And feel free to go ask them questions and take action based on their answers. Just know that they are marks. And it seems to me that at L underscore Albatross is new here. You must be new to think that I don't know what I'm doing. To think that every move I make doesn't have a larger purpose. Of course it does. You're lecturing me on social media marketing strategy? I have a social media marketing and digital marketing background. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? I just turned your presumptive pretentious troll note into 149 likes asshole. There's a reason why this show has rocketed into the top 40 in the iTunes sports and rec category. There's a reason why so many subscribe to our rankings and data analysis tool because we provide great value while taking exquisite care of the brand. When you give product away for free, you cheapen the brand. That's marketing 101. There's a reason why our our rankings are the most expensive because it implies quality don't ask me ask lavar ball lavar ball gets it he certainly gets it more than l underscore albatross so don't lecture me on brand management lecture literally every other fantasy football analyst out there giving free hand jobs in the street on twitter because that's how it's always been done Fantasy analysts have always been underpaid. Sports information has always been free. Well, not always. And not anymore. Because I'm not the only one changing the paradigm. We're going to have Warren Sharp on today. And his 2017 football preview is not free and it's worth every penny. Because Warren Sharp, unlike L underscore albatross, understands how to cultivate prestige in an industry. How to create brand affinity, as do I. Because while the others are online, faking their way through, emasculating Twitter conversations, I am standing up and saying, no, 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 no. Not me, not this brand. We're more valuable than that. How do I know? The patron community tells me it's so. So we can declare victory. This podcast has reached sustainability. I'm not going anywhere. But there's a new challenge and another reason to become a patron. Because our popularity is growing at such a high rate, podcast networks have been reaching out to me. I just had a call with Boom Audio. Podcast networks want to syndicate the show. And their offer is very generous. But it comes at a cost. The cost is my creative license. Certain podcast networks won't allow the FCC's seven words. I can no longer say fuck. I can no longer say ass if I join one of those networks. Throughout the podcast, a word from flow from Progressive will interrupt the flow of the podcast. It's a perfect name for flow because she interrupts the flow of radio segments and podcasts. And a lot more live reads will get jammed up your ass. I could say it, ass, if I joined one of those podcast networks. I don't want to, but if their offer is many times more than a making with Patreon, what the fuck do you want me to do? But it's in your hands. It's in your hands because only a small fraction of this audience supports the show on Patreon. Less than 5%. Think about that. 5% of the listeners to this show are essentially Atlas holding it on their shoulders, but now you all are empowered. To keep this podcast independent forever. Because if we can go from less than 5% to 10 to 15% of this audience on Patreon, then I can turn to the boom towns of the world and stick a middle finger in their face. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. But it's a race against the clock. We need more patrons. Because I want to do my show my way. That means doing one live read per show. And choosing who I talk about. I chose... Draft. I went to playdraft.com. I downloaded the playdraft app. I enjoyed it so much. I reached out and said, can I please do a live read on my show to tell my audience about your best ball contests? The season long format on your phone with zero time invested managing the roster. And draft is the only place that has season long and daily snake drafts throughout the season. So you get the draft app now, join some best ball contests, and then you can do the snake draft DFS contests in season. And my favorite thing is the best ball app features fast drafts, fast drafts. Not slow drafts, fast drafts. My whole life I've only known these slow draft best ball formats. Now it's fast draft, fast draft, fast draft, fast draft. draft. Imagine drafting a draft master best ball format team in an hour instead of three days. But they also have slow drafts too, so they have both. Draft is on the iOS and the Android platform, and you can download the app by just typing in Draft into any app store or by going to playdraft.com, but make sure you enter the promo code UNDERWORLD when you do. And thanks again, Buzzards, for all that free marketing advice you've been giving me on social media. Great food for thought. And now let's go talk to Warren Sharp. He is a creator, the creator of Sharp Football Stats. And Sharp Football Analysis. Go to Amazon, search Sharp Football, download his 2017 football preview, and go follow him on Twitter, at SharpFootball. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Warren Sharp. He is... The sharpest knife in the drawer. He is the proprietor of Sharp Football Analysis and Sharp Football Stats. He's the man with the Vegas plan. He's the man with the best
1: football almanac that gets published every year. Warren Sharp, talk to me. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Happy to be here. Happy to share some information with you and uh, and banter back and forth. It's going to be fun. It really is the football almanac. If
0: we had to pick the football almanac like Farmers have a farmer's almanac that all the farmers read or they used to read before the big harvester combine machines. Back in the day, 100 years ago, the farmers had a farmer's almanac, which told them about weather patterns that were upcoming and everything they needed to know. All the stats and all the metrics that farmers needed was in this farmer's almanac. The equivalent of the farmer's almanac in football analysis is Warren Sharpe's football guide. Talk to us about the Sharp football guide that you just released on Amazon this week.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's called Warren Sharp's 2017 Football Preview. You can find it up on Amazon. Actually, I think um, there's a code on the page that you check out that you can get $5 off the price. Amazon's running some sort of promo. But at any rate, what, what I decided to do the last several years, I've been doing this for probably about three or four years, but I've put it up on Amazon in print form the last couple of years um, is devote myself as soon as the Super Bowl ends to break down the season that was to try to gain a better understanding of what we just saw, what happened, why it happened, um, and then what we could s- predict for this upcoming season based upon personnel movement, coaching movement, all the things that everybody's are obviously aware of. Um, but based upon what we saw last year, will it continue this year? Will new things happen? What should teams try to do? What should they implement into their game? And um, it literally takes me five months. I put this thing together entirely by myself. It's incredible. Uh, it's incredible. And, and it's, it became a labor of love. I mean, it it's requires long nights like everybody does uh, who's trying to work hard and produce something that people are going to enjoy, um, but let, little sleep and, uh, and a lot of effort, and I think People are starting to like it. People are uh, are really fascinated with the information there. There's a ton of information. And so it takes people a little while to get through it all. But uh, I like to challenge people's thought process, make them think a little bit more about what they saw last year and why it happened and maybe contextualize it a little bit differently than what they thought when they saw it for the first time. And and then do a lot of predictions, um, not just from like a result standpoint, but from a play calling standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint. Um, and I think those things translate into obviously fantasy football. And and players themselves, but also teams and as it relates to season win totals and things like that.
0: Now you are one of the great creators in the advanced football analysis industry. Go get his 2017 football preview, the Warren Sharp 2017 football preview on Amazon. Go download it, support the creators in this industry, and learn a lot in the process. We still have two months until fantasy football season opens. Plenty of time to peruse and enjoy what took five months to put together. And when you're reading it, you realize, oh, wow. Yeah, this is what five months of work looks like. Because if you were an artist and you were being commissioned to build This book, like you would build a statue or you would paint the ceiling of a chapel, you would charge tens of thousands of dollars for that piece of work. So go get it. It's a great value on Amazon. Looking at your websites, Sharp Football Stats focuses on advanced metrics and analytics, and it's 100% free. All the analysis on Sharp Football Stats is free and open to the public. Go there, check it out. Sharp Football Analysis... Is focused on the gambling public. Now, looking at your credentials, at one point in time, Las Vegas sportsbooks consulted Warren Sharp about the weekly lines. Is that right?
1: I, I, can't, I can't talk into too much detail, but um, I do I do communicate with those guys. Uh, they do ask me for my opinion on some of the games. Um, the other thing that I do that obviously is is kind of unique and a good friend of yours and mine as well, Evan Silva, he's seen this a little bit behind the scenes. Um, but on my totals, which is what I'm the most famous for, my NFL totals, those have a very high win rate. Um, and one of the things that I do with those is we we move that's, the line.
0: That's the full season wins totals. So, for example, most years, for some reason, the New York Giants are always at eight and a half total wins. <laughs> for some reason, some... Teams have a very stable line every year. Others vary up and down. I should ask you, about a couple lines that I like the season totals in a little bit. But talk to us about your success rate betting on those season totals.
1: Well, th- those season totals are are strong. I mean, I, I do pretty well on those. Uh, what I was more so referring to is the weekly. You know, the the total on the game is fifty one, or the total on the game is forty five. You know, the point. Total- oh, the over unders. The over/under, yes, the over/under. So okay, sorry. That's the one where we will move those lines. So, for instance, um, if I put out to my clients over forty-seven, and we'll release that, that line will be at forty-eight within a couple of minutes at the most, and and then it'll trickle up from there. So usually we are we are able to move the the totals by. S- Several points at times, um, right as soon as we release those games. So we have, you know, obviously, I these guys know me. They some of them gave some quotes in the book about my right. work, um, right. but I, I have a good reputation amongst that crowd because of the analytical aspect of what I do. The way that I break down games is very unique to the sports betting community. There's basically nobody who spends as much time as me breaking down the games. Uh, then my math model that predicts the over-unders, as you referred to, the, that's a very successful model. And so um, this information is respected. I work with a number of very large professional betting groups, um, communicate the information to them so we can get down on these games. And, and then, obviously, my clients get the advantage of getting on the lines before they, they actually move, you know, worldwide. So that's that's pretty much over at the analysis site. And. I developed the Sharp Football Stats website within the last year. It literally is less than a year old right now, and it's been my passion. You know, I, I love creating things and sharing it with people, giving them new ideas, thoughts, uh, better ways to analyze the game of football. And I love the fact that it's entirely free. So that's that's one of the major benefits of that website.
0: You're a handicapping expert. That's what you are. What I love about it is that you're both a handicapping expert and just a general football analysis junkie. And the underpinnings of your analysis are based on advanced stats, metrics, and analytics. So I got a couple full season total over-unders for you. What do you think about this one? Over four and a half on the Cleveland Browns. You gotta love that one. I mean, you gotta
1: love that one, right or no? It's very, it's very difficult for teams to continuously underperform that. I mean, though the Cleveland Browns are a unique animal, so to speak, um, with one win and last year and then three wins the year before, but this is a team that the reality is they played in six games that were decided by one score or less, and they only won one of those. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so, thank they, you. They have a number of games where they were in at the end and they didn't perform well. They had a terrible quarterback uh, rotation going on, which is obviously, as we know, the most important position in the NFL. It's the most important position towards determining wins and losses. Um, I believe in the moves they made along the offensive line. That's going to help the quarterback. And I believe in the quarterback uh, coach, the guru, Hugh Jackson. Um, So those two things plus – Uh, better pieces at the quarterback position alone uh, should be able to help this team. And if they turn a few of those losses into wins and they obviously have an easier schedule this upcoming season, I I would not be betting under four and a half, let's say that. I'm not in love with the over, but to me that would be the, the side that I would take if I was forced to take a side. You're not in love with
0: that over? They got Kenny Britt. They drafted David Njoku. Oh my God. Mainstream sports media personalities are going to be shocked by what the Cleveland Browns do this year. And you're not going to be shocked because you know about all the pieces they have in place. You know that when you compile all the pieces of that team, it's not a 4-win team. It's absolutely not a 4-win team when you stack all the pieces up. It's just that they've been unlucky in the past, and they've recently gone through an incredible talent spurt. Like a child would go through a growth spurt. The Browns have gone through a talent spurt. I just can't wait. I can't wait for the season to start so I can see the look on everyone's face. When the Cleveland Browns just come out winning games like what ha- what's going on what, this, 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 this is like an alternate reality no it's the reality that those of us that study the advanced metrics have seen coming based on their offseason moves the last couple of years so you may not love it because it never goes below four and a half if it was four I'm sure you would be in love with it at four and a half they have to win five games that's a lot less appealing I get it I get it. what's the team you love? going into the season to outperform Vegas's expectations.
1: A couple of win totals that I, that I like a lot. Um, the, the one that I would probably want to talk about in this setting is a team that I think is going to underperform. Um, and, and so that's not really your question, but uh, ter- take the still some value in this one. And I like the chiefs under nine and a half wins. <laughs> too easy, too easy, too easy. Look, look, the Chiefs, they are a team that has been winning games.
0: Nine and a half? Is that really what it is?
1: It's It's—it's really nine and a half, and I was actually hoping it was going to get bet higher. But the, the reality is this. <laughs> they are a team with Andy Reid that Andy Reid has coached this team to win games intelligently as, as the laughter continues throughout this. Nine and a half!
0: Alex Smith-led offense that just lost Jeremy Macklin?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> They're going to be in developmental mode by week 12 with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, getting ready to blow the whole thing up. I can't wait to bet the under on the Chiefs.
1: They have, they, this is this is what the Chiefs have done. They have basically become masters at choosing the quickest path, quickest path to victory, and that path has been limiting turnovers and getting takeaways. Bob Sutton's defense has been great at getting takeaways, turning those into return touchdowns. And obviously the style of play that's most conducive for Alex Smith. Unsustainable. Exactly. But they, they, they've been doing this conservative passing game. They don't go down the field all that often, but here's the problem. You're absolutely Right. For some way, somehow, it has been sustained the last couple of seasons, but I don't foresee that continuing into the future. They have a very, very difficult schedule this upcoming season, the second most difficult schedule overall. So their game script is going to be very difficult. It's going to require Alex Smith to do more things that you accurately stated. They don't have Macklin. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to rely on the run game quite as much. And I think is going to fall into Alex Smith's hands. I just see them coming back to earth a little bit. And so I, I think under for that team is probably the one that I like the most of, of any on the board.
0: Their defense is also overrated. It's a very weird team how overrated they are. They get so much credit for these turnovers when the underlying performance just isn't elite in any way, yet you have to assume that the entire supporting cast is elite in order to support Alex Smith at nine and a half wins. To get Alex Smith nine and a half wins, you have to be the 49ers from 10 years ago. And that's not what this team is. It's absolutely not this team give me one over though give how about the chargers the chargers look like a team that's rising they've made some good draft picks other than mike williams lately you have joy bosa blossoming it could happen for the chargers right
1: the chargers line isn't right they're going to win more games than that right well yes and 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 i will tell you about the chargers let me tell you one last thing if you if you have the book go to page 136 for the Chiefs and look at their early down success rate visualization that I have at the bottom left-hand corner. And basically early down success rate is a custom analytic that I created and looks at how often teams are able to avoid third downs on offense or force their opponents into third downs on defense. And that is by far the most correlated statistic to wins and losses apart from turnovers. It's more correlated than yards per pass attempt, uh, number of sacks, any of the other major statistics that a lot of people look at to determine wins and losses, I developed early down success rate, and it's more correlated to wins and losses than those. And if you look at the Chiefs through week 10, they basically did not win that early down success rate battle in any single game. Yet, I believe by that point in time, they had seven wins out of eight games. They were, they were seven and two at that time. And they didn't win the early down success rate battle at all. So I definitely think they're coming back to earth with regard to the chargers. I think Vegas is wrong about the
0: entire AFC West. AFC West is not nearly as strong as Vegas thinks it is. And the one team that I think will outperform expectations is the team that Vegas thinks is the worst the San Diego Chargers I think the Oakland Raiders are not as good as Vegas thinks I think that the Denver Broncos aren't as good as Vegas thinks because they have an aging defense and they don't have a quarterback and for all the reasons you just gave the Kansas City Chiefs aren't as good as Vegas thinks meanwhile there are the San Diego Chargers lurking
1: no I, I 100% agree look at the early down success rate trend chart for the San Diego Chargers you will see that they had tons of games where they fell just short, but they won the early down success rate battle. They went 4-9 and nine in games decided by one score or less. That means they lost nine games last season, where the game was up in the air at, as the final whistle blew.
0: I remember these games. They're at a tipping point as a franchise. They're about to tip to the positive side of
1: the ledger. I, I, love, I love the pieces that they have. You can talk about the wide receiving core because – I legitimately think that they have an extremely deep core. They've got a couple new starters along the offensive line. Oh yeah, their offensive line last year. Everybody uh, should realize that th- they were they were an offensive line that was beat up. This whole offense in general, we all know about Keenan Allen, and then the dominoes just kept falling with their injuries along the offense. Um, they were one of the most injured offenses in the in the league. They were the second most injured team overall in the league last year, yet they were in all these games right. at the very end. And I think there's a there's a player that I know he might not be a massive value right now because of the big Antonio Gates kind of uh elephant in the room who's lurking there but hunter henry is a freak of efficiency and if they let him take over a little bit more this upcoming season which i kind of think that they should if they look back at the efficiency numbers from last year don't bank on it do you really
0: think that san diego chargers coaches look at efficiency metrics warren (laughs) Ah, Come on you know better than that they're going to roll out antonio gates for the remainder of the 2017 season, the Hunter Henry show will commence in 2018.
1: If, if that's if that's the case, you know, I understand that they were doing that. Obviously, last year, Hunter Henry was a young player, and Gates still, they thought, had a little bit of juice left. But they weren't playing for anything, and they were playing in front of the Chargers fans. Um, now, when the new stadium you know, I think they're about winning games and producing. And if they are, then it's not the Gates show. Now, I can't guess what's going to happen. Your guess is that Gates is going to be the guy. And I won't argue with you that they might not choose to go that route. It's very possible that they will. But Hunter Henry's connection with Philip Rivers. And the other thing that Philip does, if you study the metrics, you'll see he loves big guys in the red zone. He loves big receivers in the red zone. And guess what? He's got a lot of them on this team. Yes. I think he's going to have a very good season throwing the ball in the red zone. Thank
0: you. Yes. Philip Rivers is my late round quarterback du jour in fantasy football. I'm all about Melvin Gordon. I'm all about Philip Rivers. I'm all about Tyrell Williams. This is an ascending team no one talks about. They all want to talk about the Oakland Raiders. No, 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 The team on the rise with a steeper trajectory
1: is actually the Chargers. Yeah, and their schedule is not that bad. I mean, their schedule is manageable. Um, and and so, so I agree. I won't disagree with you one bit on that. Earlier you talked about
0: game flow. And there's a lot on game flow in your football guy. That was one of the things I noticed right away. As soon as I cracked it open, I thought, oh, wow. Okay, so there's going to be some really good information here that I need about game flow and game script. So which starting running back do you think will experience the greatest positive shift in the external forces around him from 2016 to 2017. That includes improved game flow, but that's also improved offensive line, improved schedule. Is it Melvin Gordon or is it someone else?
1: You can make the argument for Melvin Gordon. I won't I won't argue with you there. The one that I like is kind of a trick answer, not a trick question. You asked a very legitimate question, but I'm going to give you sort of a trick answer. It is a great question. Whoever the running back is in Minnesota, because if you look at what happened with Minnesota last season, they had the NFL's most injured offensive line. They had Sam Bradford come in with very minimal prep time to get ready for this offense. Um, this upcoming season, they've got Bradford there for a lot longer. Uh, he's, v- people don't even realize this. Bradford completed the most uh, highest completion rate in the NFL in history last season. And, and that's like a record nobody even cares about. But He had the best completion rate last year. They had the second worst run offense last year. Well, you are
0: familiar with this website called playerprofiler.com, where you can see that Sam Bradford's completion percentage was 71.6%, number one in the NFL, and as you said, historic.
1: Yeah, it, it was historic. And they faced the second easiest jump of schedule from 2016 to 2017 in terms of rushing blend, which factors in running backs uh, just running the football. It also factors their ability to gain explosive gains against defenses that prevent explosive rushes and their ability to make gains in the passing game uh, to the running backs, when they're targeting the running backs. They face the fourth easiest schedule of run defenses overall this year. And I just think that with a very easy schedule, they play the second overall easiest defenses this year, they're gonna be in solid positive game script mode. Their offensive line will be healthier And they're going to have more opportunities to run the ball. And so the problem, though, is Murray, Cook, is it going to be a pure share? Is Cook going to overtake Murray? It's a muddy situation. But that running back, whoever could potentially take the load there, is is set up for a really nice season, especially compared to what they dealt with last year. Okay, spoiler alert for Warren Sharp, it's not going
0: to be Latavius Murray. I will tell you that right now. It's going to be Dalvin Cook on early downs and it's going to be Jarek McKinnon in passing situations and in special situations. So two minute drill, hurry up offense. It's gonna be the Jarek McKinnon show, but I think we can pencil Dalvin Cook in for a 50% opportunity share, getting most of the standard formation carries and overall running back touches. I think by the time we get to the end of September, it will be clear that Latavius Murray is not very good. Because anyone that's paid attention to Latavius Murray's body of work when he was on a team with a great offensive line knows that he's very limited. I mean, if there is a wide running lane and all you need to do is run straight through it, then Latavius Murray can do that. If you ask him to do more than that, he's going to struggle.
1: I, I will not I disagree with you at all. I think that I've penciled in in my guide as Cook as being the starter in Minnesota, but I have seen Shermer look at AP as he practiced one week and thought, wow, this guy is so great. I'm going to put him in there. And he was terrible. So I, I don't really have the utmost confidence in Pat Shermer's decision-making when it comes to his running backs. But I agree that Cook has the best upside there, and hopefully the coaching staff sees that as well. Well, I actually think Jarek McKinnon has
0: the most upside, but they're going to hold what happened to the overall offense, the collapse of the offensive line against Jarek McKinnon. So Jarek McKinnon may not break out until he goes to another team next year, or if Dalvin Cook gets hurt this year. Something has to break in Jarek McKinnon's favor at some point in his career for his true potential to be realized. Now, on the other side of that ledger, which starting running back do you think will experience the greatest negative shift in external forces? So negated game flow, degraded offensive line, difficult schedule. Who's that running back? Just when you compare the 2016 season to 2017, who's a guy that had tailwind in 2016, now he's facing headwinds in 2017?
1: Well, I think a guy who faced... um tailwind last year but maybe didn't take advantage of it enough is uh is Spencer Ware for Kansas City and I think his schedules his situation is a lot worse this year I mean factor in they added Kareem Hunt forget about Spiller but he's there as well Spencer Ware I think is that guy um they face the second most difficult overall schedule this upcoming season as I kind of alluded to before um they have the third most difficult shift from 2016 to 2017 in the rushing blend. Um, and without that downfield passing game with Macklin not being there, it's not gonna open the offense up quite as much. So I, I, I think Spencer Ware um, is, is just in for some struggles this upcoming season, for sure.
0: Oh no. I had Spencer Ware as a tremendous touchdown regression candidate because he only scored three touchdowns last year, despite having almost 30 red zone carries. So I figured the touchdowns should come back into line. That may help him, but with all the other external forces working against him, I think the touchdown regression will be neutralized by all these other external forces working against him. Shit! I just
1: drafted him in the Scott Fishbowl.
0: Damn it! Fuck!
1: Well, you are, you are, you are correct. I mean, he had 12. 12- Touches inside the five yard line, which was obviously three times more than Sherr West, and uh, that's a ton. That that's that is a ton inside the five yard line. So for him to only record a few touchdowns off of those, um, you, you're right. He's due for some regression from that perspective. I just worry that the team offensively, from a football perspective, is not going to be in the position where they're going to be able to run out a lot of games with him in the lineup um they were fortunate to they they played in 10 games that were decided by one score or less they won seven of those games you know i i just don't see them being in this situation where they're going to be in the positive game script as much as they were last season
0: don't forget about the most fluky positive thing to happen to the chiefs last year tyreek hill is the
1: definition of a fluke player am i wrong No, uh, it's very difficult to produce that many long touchdowns like he was able to produce last year. And to bank on that happening again this year is going to be difficult, yes. Are you familiar
0: with Tyreek Hill's college resume? You mean the criminal or
1: the on-field one?
0: The on-field resume where while he was at Oklahoma State, a division one program, couldn't reach 500 receiving yards. And then as a senior going to West Alabama, and he couldn't even lead West Alabama in receiving. At West Alabama, he had one game with a hundred or more yards. One. And then he goes to the NFL and he's featured in a couple games. And in games where he's not featured, he happens to Take a reverse 50 yards for a touchdown. What's happening with Tyreek Hill is the same thing we saw happen to a player like l Patterson, where you have a gadget player who flashes explosive plays as a rookie, and then what happens? The coaches immediately promote that player to their level of incompetence. It's the Peter principle at the NFL level, and sure enough, there's Tyreek Hill, now out of his depth as the number one wide receiver facing shut down cornerbacks at the NFL level where he's destined to fail. I feel like the chiefs have set up Tyreek Hill to fail because they mismanaged their cap and were forced to cut Jeremy Macklin. Is that a fair characterization of the Tyreek Hill situation in Kansas city?
1: No, I, I think that that is a fair characterization. Um, apart, apart from Kelsey, this offense really doesn't have anybody whatsoever and including the quarterback to get anybody excited over. And i I think I I'm down on the whole team. I mean it's it's just that simple. I'm down on this entire team. They're going to win games. I'm not suggesting that they're going to finish you know four and twelve or something like that. They have a very good coach who understands. How to get the most out of his team. So he'll figure out different things to do with Tyreek and 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 cr- be creative with what they've got. There's no doubt Reed is a very creative head coach.
0: Right. If you're a manufactured touch player, it's a luxury to have an Andy Reed at coach. I don't disagree with that. But the fact is, a manufactured touch player is not what an NFL number one option looks like in the wide receiver core. It's just not. Tyreek Hill is being set up to have his talents misused at the NFL level, and he may meet the expectations of the coaching staff and even himself, but I can tell you, being drafted in the top 20 wide receivers in fantasy football, he's not going to meet the expectations of fantasy footballers. It's going to be fun to watch Tyreek Hill fail in fantasy football. It'll also be fun watching the Kansas City Chiefs fail because we're all going to make a lot of money in that transaction. So give me one more team that you think overall is going from easy schedule in 2016 to difficult schedule in 2017, and the public just hasn't realized it yet.
1: Um, well, one last thing on your on your Tyreek Hill. I do think it's laughable that he is being drafted, I think right now, one spot below Devontae Adams and one spot ahead Keenan Allen and Martavius Bryant. I, I think that that is, that is bad. But in terms of your question...
0: It's almost a mistake. Right. I almost reported this to my fantasy league as a bug in their ADP page. I said, listen, there's a problem with your website. You somehow, someway, have Tyreek Hill ranked ahead of bona fide number one options at the professional level. This can't be right. This is an error or a prank. It's one or the other. And they said, no, this is how the community
1: values Tyreek Hill.
0: And at that point, I just threw my papers in the air.
1: Yeah, I, that was probably a good move. Um, I, I think the team that's going to get buried by their their potential schedule shift, um, and I don't know, buried is a, is a harsh word. I think it's going to be difficult for them, and that's the New York Giants because of the passing defenses that they're going to face this year. Um, they face the fourth easiest overall uh, defenses last year, fourth easiest overall. And this offense still struggled. I mean, it's still, they, they could not run the football. They relied entirely on Odell Beckham breaking these slant routes for touchdowns. Um, now they face the uh, ninth most difficult schedule of defenses, the seventh most difficult schedule of passing defenses, which is their bread and butter. I mean, this is a pass heavy team. I know they brought in Brandon Marshall. Um, I know that they've got Evan Ingram. Um, but I think I think it's going to be difficult for this offense to produce against this schedule that they're going to be facing this year.
0: I agree. Now, when you look at the wide receiver matchup specifically, you look at the NFC East, and those wide receivers, particularly the outside wide receivers, seem to be scheduled for very difficult cornerback matchups. And. The wide receiver that I hear has the most difficult schedule, particularly early in the season, when you look at the cornerback matchups, is Alshon Jeffrey. Is that true, or is there another wide receiver with even more difficult cornerback matchups?
1: Well, through the first six weeks of the season, the Eagles have the second most difficult schedule of opposing pass defenses, and the only reason Mm -hmm. it's not the most difficult schedule— is because they play the Redskins week one. But the Redskins pass defense should be a little bit better this upcoming season. And they'll have Josh Norman
0: shadowing Alshon Jeffrey. That's a problem.
1: Exactly. The 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 other teams that the Eagles are going to face all have top eleven pass defenses from 2016. They also play four of these of their first six games on the road whence went one and seven on the road last year the games they get to host at home they have to play the pass defenses of the Giants and the Cardinals (gasps) so those aren't easy pass defenses to go up against even if you've got them at home and Wentz obviously struggled on the road so I, I think Alshon Jeffrey especially with week one getting that Josh Norman treatment it is going to be in for a slow start this year
0: We had Janoris Jenkins as the most underrated cornerback in the league last year. We had Janoris Jenkins and Casey Hayward as the two most underrated cornerbacks in the league last season based on the advanced metrics. The problem for the NFC East is they cross on the schedule against the NFC West difficult pass defenses with the exception of the 49ers. And the AFC West, which as we know has the Denver Broncos and an improving secondary in San Diego, so should we just be discounting all
1: NFC East wide receivers, period? I don't know if discounting is is the word I would choose. If you look at last year's schedule, the NFC South faced that same uh pairing of the NFC West and the AFC West. And the NFC South Still was able to deliver. I think Mike Evans, if I'm not mistaken, was the WR number one. Uh, Julio was number six. Cooks was number eight. Michael Thomas was number nine. And then they had Greg Olson and Cameron Bray both with solid seasons. However, they played six games against the NFC South defenses, which are terrible. The NFC East defenses Uh, You do have the Cowboys who keep getting arrested. um, But the Eagles have a very decent uh, defense overall. The Redskins' defense is going to be improving. And, of course, the Giants' defense is difficult. So you absolutely have to take into account the strength of schedule that these NFC East wide receivers are going to be facing outside of their division as well as inside of their division for sure.
0: There's been a lot of talk about the Patriots' passing game. And there's an assumption that with Gronk back healthy, with Brandon Cooks, Now in New England, the Patriots will be converted from a run-oriented team, which they were last year, top five in the league in total rush attempts, to a pass-oriented team in 2017. Do you believe there's going to be this philosophical shift in New England?
1: I, I don't. This is one of the things that I genuinely disagree with from what I've heard a lot of people talking about, which is you know, I think a lot of people studied what the Patriots do against good run defenses where they just pass the ball a lot. And they tried to just populate that and predicted that that's going to happen a lot just in general because they've got so many good receivers now. But from what – obviously, they're going to be balanced, right? I mean, Bill Belichick is a very balanced uh, coach unless they're trying to attack a specific weakness. Last year, they played the 11th most difficult schedule of opposing run defenses, So naturally they might want to pass a little bit more. This year they're playing the fifth easiest schedule of opposing run defenses. And I think that's going to be more conducive to Belichick taking this path of least resistance. Um, They also have a stronger team, you know, offensively, they're better, defensively, they're better, and that's going to be better game scripts for the run game. Um, I think what you also may see is with the ability to be more explosive offensively with Gronk there and with Cooks there, and of course Hogan is still there, you're going to see more explosive gains, which might mean fewer passes in general. You might see a higher rate of runs simply because the passes are gaining more yardage and they aren't attempting as many passes. Um, Tom Brady obviously is not getting any younger. They're not trying to set records this year. They're trying to extend his career and win Super Bowls. That's really what they care about. So when they're up in these games, I think they are going to be running the football. And and there's a number of other reasons that we don't need to get into right now um, to further support that premise. That I think this team, with the stable of running backs and the diversity that they have and as good of a team that they are. Um, I don't think we're going to see a return to the 2007 team, which was trying to set all these records and run up all these crazy scores. They're going to be successful. They're going to win. Um, but I think they're going to be able to be very balanced, and, and a lot of that will come on the ground game.
0: So draft Mike Gillisley over Spencer Ware?
1: I would I – would, um, what are their ADPs right now? I don't have that in front of me. How do they?
0: They're about the same.
1: Okay. Yeah. If they're if they're about the same, I would definitely prefer Gillisley for sure. Great, because
0: I was in the Scott Fish Bowl, and I was deciding between Spencer Ware and Mike Gillisley, and before I talked to you, I chose Spencer Ware! God damn it! Fuck! Well, I, I hope for your case that I'm, I'm wrong. I want to talk about old running backs. I think this is the year of the aging running back. Danny Woodhead, Jonathan Stewart, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore, Matt Forte, Darren Sproles. Of those 30 and over running backs, which one do you believe could outperform expectations this year?
1: Um, Well, I'd like to say Frank Gore, but I'll probably say Danny Woodhead. And it's primarily because of the way that Baltimore targets running backs on early down pass attempts. They target these guys. On 27% of their overall attempts, which is 19th, uh, sorry, it is the best in the league. The average is 19%. Jonathan Stewart, he's not going to get that usage in the pass game. So while I do think he's being overlooked um, because of all the hype with you know Christian McCaffrey, I think j- there is value for Jonathan Stewart, but I think the ceiling is higher for, for a player like a Danny Woodhead. Um, I would disagree with you that a lot of those guys that you rattled off there are being overlooked. Um, Oh, they are. Darren Sproles
0: going in the double-digit rounds. Matt Forte has been left for dead. No one likes those players, Warren. Even Adrian Peters looks great. So many positive reports coming out of New Orleans. Still, no respect, nothing, no movement on the ADP. It's
1: weird. Weider. well i will i will tell you adrian peterson has been throughout his career just this workout freak everywhere you go i mean it, it just happened in minnesota a couple times last year uh before the season and then when he was coming back from his injury he just looks so great that there's hype inherently there when he's like doing his workouts and his training and and it's a whether or not it'll translate onto the field but i will say that Car- that uh new orleans team With Adrian Peterson and with Ginn, I mean, those two players have never been on teams where the offense, the team is so offensively oriented, where they need so much out of that offense because the defense is so bad. If you think about, for instance, Ginn, he's been playing in Carolina where they have a strong defense and they run the ball a lot and they don't need a lot out of that offense. Well, in New Orleans, they need a lot out of their offense and they throw the ball a lot. And so I'm just excited to see those two players with a head coach like Sean Payton and a quarterback like Drew Brees. So
0: you think Ted Ginn is one of the most underrated wide receivers heading into 2017? He could be a WR3 in fantasy, finishing in the top 40 wide receivers in fantasy points. I think he could. Why not? He's going to be on the field a lot for the New Orleans Saints. They run a very high percentage of three and four wide receiver sets, and he's their designated field stretcher, and one of the best deep ball passers every single year is Drew Brees. The team that throws the ball the most every single year is the New Orleans Saints. The math on Ted Ginn
1: is not hard. Yeah, I mean, they played the 26th rated schedule of pass defenses, and importantly, the 25th rated schedule of explosive pass defenses. And with the defense in the state that they're in, I think that the Saints offense, as you mentioned, they're going to be at the tops of pass attempts this upcoming season, and being able to stretch the field like Ginn does, I think Sean Payton is going to be able to use him in some creative packages. Um, you know, he 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 can just do a lot for the team. Now, I don't think he's going to be a target monster. I don't think he's going to get a ton of action, but when you have a guy like Michael Thomas, who's no longer a rookie and teams respect what he's capable of doing now with the efficiency he produced last year, they have to defend him. I mean, think about Ginn last year. Uh, he's lined up on one side. You have Kelvin Benjamin on the, you know, it's it's not even close. Michael Thomas's talent compared to Kelvin Benjamin. And I think it's going to help Ginn tremendously from a Coverage standpoint.
0: For the first time in a long time, defensive coordinators will not be scheming against Ted Ginn. All the more reason to draft Ted Ginn. I think Ted Ginn is one of a handful of NFL field stretchers that do not require a significant target share that they help the wide receivers underneath. I think that the addition of a wide receiver almost always hurts the other wide receivers in the passing game because of the law of the conservation of targets. Targets have to be siphoned to the new receiver. If you're an NFL receiver, ideally you're the only good player in the passing game. (laughs) So you can get all the targets. That's what you want. You want to be the target hog. But I think there are a couple exceptions where if your team acquires one of these low volume, high efficiency field stretchers, it can actually help you. So I believe in New Orleans, the presence of Ted Ginn helps Willie Sneed. I believe in Tampa, the presence of, Deshaun Jackson, helps Mike Evans. I believe that in Cincinnati, the presence of John Ross helps A.J. Green.
1: Can you think of any other examples where that might be the case? It definitely helps with John Ross being there. The only way way I'll caveat that slightly is we haven't seen how they're going to actually use him in the NFL yet. Now, we can anticipate how they should use him, and I absolutely agree. He is going to help Uh, AJ Green tremendously with his speed out there but my other concern with Cincinnati is last year they faced the 24th rated pass rush this year they faced the fifth rated pass rush they're down multiple key offensive linemen and to give that threat of the deep ball which is the purposes of John Ross to help out AJ Green you have to have that time so that's going to be important. Now, it can also work if you do some play action, which is why establishing the run is going to be vital. And you've got Mixon coming in and trying to help out with, with Hill, who obviously was underwhelming last season. Um, but I do think there's no doubt you put Ross opposite Green as opposed to LaFell. You're going to have better coverage situations for A.J. Green. Um, it's hard to say. There's not, there's not a ton of really solid – speedy wide receivers who also play a lot there's a lot of guys who kind of get thrown in on occasion but in terms of high enough snap rate I think you nailed some of the key key guys there who stretch the field and help the guys underneath
0: we talked earlier about the strength of schedule you had the Jacksonville Jaguars having the easiest schedule in 2017 is that enough to help Blake Bortles actually look competent this season is that enough to allow Leonard Fournette to have enough room to slide through some creases and crevices in the defense and not get buried in the backfield every single snap?
1: I won't say that it's enough, not in and of itself, with this team because, as we discussed, the NFL, it matters who your quarterback is. And Blake Bortles has not proven to be a competent quarterback. Um, And as a result... I think even having this easier schedule that should help the run volume shift, it still forces the Jaguars to get leads in these games and to be able to maintain those leads so that they can run the football. And here's a crazy thing from the Jaguars chapter in my book that I put out. As you know, Nathaniel Hackett is their new offensive coordinator. In this. I
0: didn't know that. I could give a shit who the offensive coordinators are, to be honest. Well,
1: let me tell you about Nathaniel Hackett. He came on board in week seven. The Jaguars actually had second half leads in five games from week 11 to week 17. Second half leads in five games. They lost every single one of those games.
0: <laughs> of course they did. Of course.
1: Here's a big problem with Nathaniel Hackett, something that I was researching for the book. If they had less than three wide receivers on the field on any play, they went 100% run. So you're looking out there, you see two or less wide receivers. Jacksonville only went run in the second half of these games when they were leading. Their running carries gained success rate of only 29%. And if they had three or more wide receivers, they were 65% pass, including 78% pass after first down. They were far too predictable with their play calling, even with these leads in the second half. And it ended up costing them. They lost these games because the teams were able to stop them because they were so damn predictable.
0: Let's assume for a moment that Blake Bortles does improve this year. I know it's a long shot, but let's assume. In that case, the number two wide receiver in Jacksonville becomes fantasy viable because the negative game script that they'll enjoy. Who is the number two receiver in Jacksonville? Is it Marquise Lee? Is it Alan Hearns? Who's better? Who you got?
1: Um, to me, it's a hard pass. But, you know, if, if we're going to look at what Lee was able to do last year, he was more efficient and I would rather have the more efficient player as my number two. I want my number one, obviously I want efficiency from everybody, but if I'm going to be going to my second option a lot of times, which is where the number two comes into play, I want a guy who's dependable when I'm going to be throwing the ball to him. Hearns was far less dependable, but when Hearns was in the lineup, he did deliver a higher snap rate and he produces the more explosive plays. So it's it's hard for me to say what they're going to do in terms of how they're going to decide things this upcoming season, Um, but if it was me personally, I would want the player who's a little bit more efficient, and that's Lee. Marquise Lee. Marquise Lee's good.
0: He just happened to have a rash of hamstring injuries early in his career that crippled him, literally crippled him. Now he's back. He was great at USC. Great dominator rating, above average athleticism. We like Marquise Lee now that he's healthy. In his one healthy season, he was productive and efficient. So why not Marquise Lee? Also, why not every player on the Seattle Seahawks? Because the Seattle Seahawks have the second best schedule, according to Warren Sharp. Do you think this is the season that Russell Wilson is finally unlocked and the team becomes an offensive juggernaut. I mean, say yes. Say yes. Feel free to say yes.
1: Well, I I he's fun to watch, so I would love to see that. But I, yeah, right? Right? I yeah. just don't because here's the oh, thing. Oh god. They have a terrible offensive line. Last year, as we know, they could not run the ball. So what they ended up doing last year was they passed the ball nearly 61% of the time when the game was within one score. That was a 10% jump compared to what they did in 2015. It was the biggest jump from any team from 2015 to 2016. With Earl Thomas back there playing center field on that defense and the, and the team hopefully getting a little bit more out of the run game, I just don't see them having such a high passing volume this upcoming season especially with the schedule so I don't know that I see Wilson producing a juggernaut type season where this offense is a juggernaut but come on
0: juggernaut it's a fun word to say juggernaut
1: it is it is very fun and this offense is fun when they are clicking and when they're playing well
0: it's so fun the, the
1: problem is they, they sort of are um, they're like a front-running type offense where if things are going well for them, but if things are, sort of go poorly a little bit, it, it snowballs sometimes for this team. And uh, I, I hope that doesn't happen because I think them playing well is good for the NFL um, because it produces good matchups and X's and O's, and people like to think about uh, football in that perspective if they can make it to the playoffs. So I, I hope this team does well. They play. They well, they had ten wins last year on a very down season um, overall. It's amazing that a ten win team could have a down season. True. So I, I think. I think they're going to be in a lot of good game scripts. I think the run game is going to have opportunities. I just don't see them as they just are not going to be passing the ball enough where I could consider them to be an offensive juggernaut from like a production and fantasy perspective.
0: We need their defense to fall apart. That's what we need. We need their defense's age to finally show because that's what happens with NFL defenses, as you know. They're good. They're good. They're good. They're good. Oh, my God. Everyone's hurt. Or no longer effective. Look what happened to Darrell Rivas. Exhibit A. That's going to happen to Richard Sherman at some point. That's going to happen to a lot of the players on the Seattle Seahawks defense at some point. Once the defense is fully degraded and it's already bloated with big contracts, once the performance starts to decline of the defense... That's when it's time to unlock Russell Wilson.
1: Right? Right? Juggernaut, right? Say it. Wilson can be a juggernaut when he's running the ball and playing well. He got injured early last season. People forget that. But unfortunately, the line is what causes injury, and the line is not that much better this year.
0: Do you know who's incredible at avoiding contact in the backfield? The most nimble running back on the Seattle Seahawks? CJ ProSize. If they want to counteract the backfield penetration, the solution on the Seattle Seahawks, play CJ Prosize. Now, I also want to talk to you about Miami, because Miami's not exciting in any way when you read Warren Sharp's analytical analysis, but when you read beat reports, oh, it's as Ray Summerlin from Roto World said, it's all sunshine and rainbows in Miami. Seems like every Miami Dolphin is going to exceed expectations. Do you agree with the beat reporters, or are you sitting here thinking, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, I
1: I think they are sipping the Kool-Aid a little bit. Look, with a healthier offensive line, which is what should happen in Miami because their line got beat up last year, Jay played very well when that line was fully intact. Um, They ended up leaning on him a little bit too much. And he became a a boomer bust type runner where he had a lot of really massive carries, uh, but then he had a lot of carries that were very unsuccessful. Um, Adam Gase's goal is to limit Ryan Tannehill. So I don't see how we would be really high on any of the passing elements of this team. Um, But I do think the running game, especially if they target a Jai out of the backfield, because that's a very good way to keep a player healthier later into the season is if you target him on some of these first and second down passes to get a Jai into space where he doesn't have to deal with the monsters in the box he can get the ball on the outside and face guys that he can dominate um, so I really do think that if they target him more in a passing game and use him less as a runner earlier on in the season it'll benefit them more long term so overall as a team I think they can be better but Talking about stepping forward, if that means that they'll win more than 10 games like they did last year, or they'll win games in the playoffs, I don't think so. This is a team that went eight and two in one score games last year. Um, So they won eight of those 10 games. They face a more difficult schedule this upcoming season.
0: Uh Uh-oh, Dolphins, did you hear that? Uh
1: Uh-oh. So I think it's going to be tough for a Ajay. I think it's going to be tough overall for this team. Uh, so, it's a convoluted way to say I think the team itself may produce better overall. I think the run game and, and the agile element will be better than the receiving element of this offense. Um, but I don't necessarily see them winning more games.
0: So, Ryan Tannehill's a big problem. Derek Carr's not a problem. He just got the biggest contract in NFL history. And everyone's fine with it. Everyone but me thinks that that's perfectly rational. Derek Carr is elite. I disagree. And those same NFL fans and mainstream football analysts are going to lose their minds when Kirk Cousins gets a mega contract. Yet the metrics indicate that Cousins and Carr are similar players, but why are they perceived so differently?
1: I think there's a few reasons. I think this is where fantasy football seeps into perception because everybody's thinking about fantasy football. Carr was the higher rated prospect, he was the starter from the jump. Um he plays in all those late games on the West Coast. He played behind a great offensive line. He has a guy like Amari Cooper to throw the ball to. Um The Redskins themselves didn't even believe in Kirk Cousins. That's why they franchised him a couple of times. Uh, You know, they wondered after 2015 if it was a one-year wonder against easy defenses. Uh, But then in 2016, the Redskins played the most difficult schedule of defenses, including the second most difficult pass defenses. And despite having injuries on that line, they still produced a great passing offensive statistics, even with Fat Rob running the football and and just a – the, uh, carousel at the running back position as well, um, they were still very productive. Now it will be interesting to see without Pierre Garçon, without Deshaun Jackson, what this offense is capable of doing. It was interesting that if you recall, the former GM said his goal was to surround Kirk Cousins with all these weapons to ensure that he would be successful. And the current regime is letting all those players go to see what Kirk Cousins is able to do for himself. Have you seen Terrell Pryor? Terrell Pryor is the guy who I don't understand why Cleveland let him go, but I'm happy that he's in Washington. Yeah.
0: Have you seen Josh Doxson's catch radius? I mean, they're going to be fine with the weaponry Warren tell you that right now.
1: I think that the perception of Kirk cousins is like I said, it is impacted by fantasy. It's impacted by the fact that the Redskins didn't have a great season last year. Um, and I I think a lot of people just see Carr playing better, more often when he's playing in these West coast games that everybody is seeing around the country, as opposed to Kirk cousins who slotted into the 1 PM.
0: That's an interesting theory. I think it's because Kirk cousins has a douchey face. When you look at Kirk cousins face, he just looks like someone you want to punch. Now I can say that because I myself have a douche face. When I walk up to strangers and meet them for the first time, they're always recoiling. They're stepping back. They're,
1: but have you been franchised two consecutive years and making millions and millions of dollars? No, it wouldn't matter. The reflex
0: response when anyone sees me, whether I was a millionaire or homeless, would be to turn a walk in the other direction. That's How I'm universally viewed. So I walk every day in those Kirk Cousins douche face shoes. So I understand how the misperception happens. And I wanted to ask you so that you could revalidate that it's based on nothing that we can verify quantitatively. It's based on absolutely nothing other than you don't like the guy's personality. You don't like the way the guy carries himself. And that's it. And that's all. All Kirk Cousins did last year was perform well against one of the most difficult pass defenses. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's all. And the year before that had arguably the most efficient season of a quarterback. That's it. That, that's all. Well, that, that's fine. You know, he's a more accomplished quarterback than Derek Carr. Not one football fan in America would admit that. In fact, they would look you in the face and say you're dead wrong. And they're not. They're just uninformed.
1: Yeah, if you look at the Redskins radar chart in the book, it's absurd how strong of a performance overall this offense had last season in the face of a ridiculously difficult schedule of opposing defenses. Now, unfortunately, they have another difficult schedule of opposing defenses this upcoming season, Um, but... I absolutely agree. I mean, Kirk Cousins has been performing extremely well and it, it flies under the radar.
0: Is he the most underrated quarterback in the NFL or is there someone else that's even more
1: underrated than Kirk Cousins? I would, I would say Cousins is close, but I would actually say Sam Bradford based upon the perception of him when he was in Philadelphia and how terrible some of those primetime games were with Chip Kelly and how horrible he looked. And then he gets traded to Minnesota. And as you mentioned on prayer Player profiler, the number one completion record in NFL history last year, comes behind the most injured offensive line in football, a situation he's thrust into without any real prep time. Um, I think people's perception of him is just so in the gutter. Um, And I think he's got a great chance of outperforming uh, where he's currently being drafted, thanks to his schedule and thanks to kind of a season that. That flew under the radar a little bit last year, especially with Shermer, who did like to pass the ball a little bit more often last season. Um, I think with game script, they might be in more situations where they'll run it because they'll be winning. But I think this is a team that could surprise some people offensively with their performance. And we know they have a great defense led by Zimmer which is capable of getting turnovers, takeaways, producing um, plays that'll give the offense great field position. Uh, Hopefully Zimmer can get his his eyes fixed and doesn't have to miss any time this year. But uh, I think Bradford definitely gets overlooked.
0: Yeah, that wasn't a figure of speech that Mike Zimmer has to get his vision corrected. He actually does have an eye problem. Now, when you look at first downs converted last year, the ratio of first downs converted via the pass versus first downs converted via the run, no team had a higher first down conversion pass to run ratio than the Minnesota Vikings last year. Did you know that, Warren Sharp? Did I just hit you with a team metric that you were unaware of?
1: You, you did. That was one that was yes. not in my arsenal.
0: So. Yes, I did. I got it. I knew it. I was waiting it like a snake in the grass just waiting waiting biding my time I was like I got a team stat that Warren Sharp may not have I'm gonna wait
1: the right moment You did all of that, that as that was good now I may have guessed that, if given the choice, because their run game, as you mentioned earlier, was absolutely abysmal last year, and Sam Bradford broke the record for completion. So he, he, completion percentage, so he was very accurate, and a lot of those passes were converted to first downs, but uh, that is a, that is a great statistic. For
0: every single first down the Minnesota Vikings converted last season with the rush, they converted more than three via the pass. Just an incredible ratio, which you can trace back to the failures of the offensive line, which were palpable when you watched the team last season. Another player whose performances were palpable last season just triggered a visceral response in me. And I know you're going to think it's David Johnson, right? David Johnson, of course, David Johnson, the most spectacular running back we saw maybe in the last decade, 2016, David Johnson. But that's actually not who I'm talking about. On a per touch basis, Ty Montgomery was even more impressive than David Johnson. Ty Montgomery had one of the most efficient seasons we've seen in a long time from a running back. It was in a smallish sample, wasn't a full season. Those efficiency numbers would come down in a full season, but when you look at Ty Montgomery, do you agree that he's more David Johnson than he is Theo
1: Riddick? Yeah, I'm. I'm high on Ty Montgomery. I think he is. Yeah, baby. Yes. Think about it this way. He started out the season as a wide receiver. He transitioned into a running back. When the team wasn't happy with what he did, he screwed up this, missed out on that. They took him off the field. They could put in guys like Eddie Lacy, James Starks, or Christine Michael. They don't have any of those guys this year. They can't put those players in. They have a bunch of rookies that they drafted. And he's
0: developing. He's learning lessons. It's a brand new position. Of course, he's going to be better this year. Of course, he's going to miss less blitz pickup assignments this year than he did last year. Give the guy a year to play the position, for Christ's sake.
1: And in addition, he led the team, even despite all of that, even despite the fact that I believe he played a total of 16 snaps up through uh, through their bye week, right, and he missed the game week eight against the Falcons. That's right.
0: Ty Montgomery, forty-two percent snap share last season. That was fifty-fourth among running backs. His opportunity share, which was his share of running back touches, thirty-five percent, which was fifty-sixth in the NFL. Yet, yet, when you look at the efficiency, his breakaway run rate—runs of fifteen yards or more. Per carry, 9.1%. That was second in the league. And his evaded tackles per touch, his juke rate on playerprofile.com, 34.7%, number three in the league. He's the only player in the top 10 in both breakaway run
1: rate and juke rate. Whoa, whoa. I, I, I love that. I love that. Now, here's the other thing that he has. In the red zone, even with those poor snap shares, he had the most carries of any running back on the team he had eight inside the five yard line okay nobody else had more than four and you talked about all those guys who aren't there anymore right right 21 red zone rushes that those guys combined for are now potentially going to tie montgomery this upcoming season and my numbers agree. I mean, I have something called Yards Above Successful, which looks at once a play has gained the required yardage to be successful, it adds up all the other yards. If you have a 30-yard run, you only need a four to be considered a successful play. It takes those other 26 yards and throws them in a bucket called Yards Above Successful, or YAS percentage. He was the fourth best running back in the NFL in his YAS percentage Last year, he was the ninth best running back in missed yards per attempt, which are rushes that don't grade out as successful, but far fall just short of that required yards to gain. He gets the ninth closest to be, turning those runs into su- successful. He had a great season, and as you mentioned, he's just learning the position. His his shares are going to go up this year, and his red zone opportunities are going to be a lot better.
0: Up, 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 up. I'm going to throw a trump card on top of your stats. Player profilers, yards created, essentially yards after an evaded tackle. Total for the season, 335. Impressive. Per touch, 2.8 per touch, number one, in the NFL for Ty Montgomery. He's a fantastic running back. It's just a reality. It's just a reality. I can say that for certain. What I can't say for certain is how good of a wide receiver Mike Evans is. Mike Evans is a volume fueled wide receiver with uncertain talent. He hasn't been efficient yet. Who's to blame? Jameis Winston, the lack of a supporting cast, lots of reasons. But the bottom line is, we haven't seen him perform efficiently on a football field. So I can't say with definitive certainty, yes, Mike Evans is a great player. Which is strange to say about a top five fantasy wide receiver. And then when you look back at the game log last year, Mike Evans collapsed in the second half. And since then, Tampa Bay has bolstered its receiving core. So is Mike Evans set up to miss expectations in 2017? because he's not as efficient as we would like him to be, and he's now going to lose significant target share?
1: Uh, I, I think it's unsustainable, that target rate from 2016. Yeah, you think? It's, it's also not beneficial for that offense to continue to feed him the way that they were. So I think it's a good thing for the team in general to spread the ball around a little bit more often. Now, the positive, I mean, they definitely brought in some some wide receivers. They got Deshaun Jackson there. He His presence will help a, a little bit, will help Mike Evans with coverages. So that is definitely a positive, even though he's going to be taking some targets and he's going to be getting hit on some of these big pass plays, which very well will take the Bucks, who were on first and 10 on the 30-yard line, uh, their own 30, with 70 yards to go and potentially Mike Evans could have had 25 to 30 of those 70 yards. Uh, Those might be gone because they might be on the bench because they, uh, they might hit Deshaun Jackson just with one pass, and that's a touchdown, and so Mike Evans doesn't have the opportunity to record those extra yards and extra targets. I don't know that he's worth a wide receiver number four or five. The other problem that I have is Winston has been coached to spread it around in the red zone. If you look at what they did in the red zone last season, very, very balanced. And in the red zone, that's one place where a Deshaun Jackson isn't going to command coverage due to his speed to roll players over to him. So whereas Deshaun Jackson might help on, as I mentioned, the Tampa Bay thirty he's going to help a lot less on the 10-yard line as they're headed in for a touchdown. So I still think coverages will roll to Mike Evans in those situations, making Jameis want to spread the ball around a little bit more.
0: The Mike Evans... Advanced metrics profile on playerprofile.com is one of the most enigmatic profiles that you are ever going to see on a wide receiver. Specifically, the 2016 Mike Evans statistical profile. Look at the red zone target share. You'd think Mike Evans would have led the NFL in red zone target share last year. But as you said, that's not true. He was outside the top five in red zone target share. 26.8% sounds like a lot but it was less than 20 total red zone targets last year. He had nine red zone receptions, which was 17th in the NFL. You would think it would be higher, but because he scored so many touchdowns on long receptions, he scored 12 touchdowns. So his red zone reception to total touchdown rate was less than one. He scored more touchdowns than he had red zone receptions. That's a riddle, and it gets even weirder. Just in case you had the pass-to-run first-down ratio of the Minnesota Vikings committed to memory, just in case, I had another wow stat for you. Mike Evans' air yards-to-yards-after-the-catch ratio was the highest we've seen since the inception of PlayerProfiler.com. 1,146 air yards to only 175 yards-after-the-catch. To put this in perspective... Mike Evans crushed the field in air yards last season, and his yards after the catch finished 67th in the NFL. That's a mind-boggling ratio, something like we've never seen. That ratio perfectly exemplifies just how strange Mike Evans' 2016 season was.
1: If, if I was to interject and guess two reasons potentially why That occurred, first and foremost, probably because they don't have another wide receiver even close to him. So because of the coverage, they were able to get on him quicker. And number two would be slight erratic pass attempts from Jameis Winston. Mike Evans made some spectacular catches on them. He did. 80% contested catch rate. Right. He'd he'd catch them, but he'd have to either go to the ground, go out of bounds, get tackled immediately because they weren't thrown in a place where he could do something with the ball after the catch. Mike Evans
0: is a human paradox. That's the best way I can describe it. Aspects of his profile are encouraging, and then these other aspects are unsustainable. Looking at his profile on PlayerProfiler.com makes my brain turn into a pretzel. Mike Evans is an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Now, you mentioned Jameis Winston. Could he be a top-five quarterback this year? When you look at schedule and potential game script and the added weapons...
1: I, I just I just don't see it because this team becomes too script driven. When they are leading, they're the seventh most run heavy team in one score games. They're the most. They're the eighth most run heavy team. They just aren't this up tempo style of offense that will throw it a ton. I'm I'm big on Winston's upside for his real football career. Um, in terms of top five quarterback, whether it's fantasy or real football, I don't know that I see it this year. I'm. But you think he's good? I do think he's good. Yes.
0: You know what? We'll settle at that. So many football fans and fantasy gamers don't think he's good. So I'll just settle for you saying that he's good, but he's not quite top five. That's fine. That's 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 that's, that's, that's perfectly fine. Speaking of good players, are you familiar with a wide receiver in New York named Quincy Enunwa? How do you feel about his potential?
1: Um. You know, the
0: the Jets' offense is not exciting. That was a very heavy sigh there. That was not encouraging.
1: He'll get the targets because of the dearth of talent in New York. Um, I question his ability to consistently gain separation when covered by top cornerbacks. Um, and then you've got the quarterback's abilities to get him the ball consistently. I, I think in real football, He's not going to be a great number one receiver in fantasy football because of potential game script and the dearth of talent. I think he could get enough targets to be relevant. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. You went in through the back
0: door touting Quincy Anunwa. We're going to put Warren Sharp down as a Quincy Anunwa tout through the back door via volume only. We will classify Warren Sharp as a Quincy Anunwa tout. Please don't. I've... In previous shows, we've talked about the Doug Baldwin corollary, this idea that the possession slot receiver, even those that get huge volume, are oftentimes underappreciated because they're viewed as not having upside when players like Jamison Crowder absolutely have incredible upside working in high volume, high efficiency offenses. You talked about Sam Bradford earlier. And we saw at the end of last season the emergence of Adam Thielen. Is Adam Thielen one of those underappreciated possession slot receivers?
1: 100. Um, he's, you know, he, he's one of my favorite candidates this year to perform in a more unheralded role. Um, his, his efficiency numbers, his effectiveness numbers last year were were remarkable. Um, you know, he he ultimately he outsnapped Stephon Diggs. He did. I didn't know that. Yeah, he had 788 snaps, and Diggs had 697. Oh wow. Oh. On a rate basis, Diggs was there more often, but Diggs oh. missed several games.
0: Right. Oh, few, few. Okay. Wow. Now the the
1: other the other element is the the first four weeks of the season. Obviously, Thielen was an afterthought in the offense. Charles Johnson was getting. I mean, there, this offense was all over the place a little bit. So. Once Thielen emerged in that game against Houston and produced a ridiculous stat line when Diggs missed <laughs> yeah, time, did, yeah. then Thielen was worked in a lot more and consistently throughout the course of the season. But I, I'm I'm big on Thielen this year. Very bullish on Adam Thielen. Very, very bullish on Adam Thielen. I like what he delivers to Sam Bradford. I mean, his his um he averaged, I think, ten and a half yards per attempt and a seventy five percent completion rate. Which is which is unheard of. He's one of only three players to post 125 plus yards against the Texans pass defense uh, against top 15 defenses uh, last year. He posted 77% catch rate with 13 yards per attempt. Um, he was just one of three players with 100 plus receiving yards against the Jaguars pass defense. So, you know, I I, th- I like him this season.
0: We talked about the Ty Montgomery profile. How he was the only running back to finish in the top five in breakaway run rate, juke rate, and yards created per touch. Well, that guy at the wide receiver position is Adam Thielen. Production premium, our situation agnostic efficiency metric comparing Adam Thielen's per target efficiency against all other wide receivers, regardless of game situation, so controlling for down and distance plus 30.0 production premium for Adam Thielen, top three in the NFL. His target premium, comparing his per-target output to the other receivers in the Minnesota passing game, plus 34.8%, that was fourth in the league. His yards per target, 10.5%, 4th in the league. Catch rate, as you mentioned, 75%, fifth in the league. Top five across all key efficiency metrics. Adam Thielen had a fantastic 2016. and
1: you're speechless
0: Yay! i did it i overwhelmed warren sharp with advanced metrics yes
1: i'm just sucking on a cough drop over here but i (laughs) oh god
0: come on oh you killed my buzz warren you killed my buzz i wanted you on bended knee handing me your sword but that's not what happened you were sucking on a cough drop so when you look at teams as bearish as you are on the Kansas City Chiefs, you're equally bullish on the Minnesota Vikings. You like the run game. You like Adam Thielen. You also like Kyle Rudolph. You think Kyle Rudolph is for real a top five tight end in the league, a total target monster. There's no reason to think that's going to change this year. You agree with that, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's just the red zone volume. I mean, he's ridiculous inside the red zone, and I, I think that that's going to continue. The case for
0: Kyle Rudolph is incredibly straightforward. Do not... Overthink Kyle Rudolph, the Red Zone Reindeer.
1: Right? Absolutely.
0: I just came up with that. Kyle Rudolph's the Red Zone Reindeer. That was magic. Warren, we're in the presence of nickname magic. Just now it happened.
1: I I like it. I definitely think you should roll with that all year long and twice on Christmas week.
0: Now, a tight end that I think is ready to ascend to the Kyle Rudolph echelon is Eric Ebron. How do you feel about Eric Ebron?
1: His draft rate, obviously, is like, what, tight end 14 or so? So I do think that because of the... I love how you called
0: his ADP a draft rate. I love that. I love the terminology... That non fantasy football junkies use. It's perfect. I love that. I want to call it draft rate. I hate the term ADP. I much prefer draft rate. I might steal that and start calling it draft rate.
1: Well, feel free to edit that out entirely. (laughs) No, I
0: love it. That was
1: an endearing term that you used. Well, here's my concern with Ebron. Right? We know that there's a, a void with the red zone targets from Bolden, but. But, uh uh-oh, but. Eric Ebron had zero targets inside the five-yard line. And while I know that nine of nine targets went to Bolden inside the five, so those are kind of open to be dispersed, um, I want to digress momentarily to just talk about the way that Cooter schemed for Eric Ebron and the Detroit Red Zone game. So Detroit used 11 personnel 73% of the time in the red zone. The NFL average is only 56%. 73% was the fourth most of any team. The problem was that out of all of their snaps, they only targeted from 11 personnel, the tight end position six times. They targeted the wide receiver position 48 times and the running back position through runs and passes 31 times for any personnel grouping inside the red zone for any team let's just look at targeting the tight end the lions targeted the tight end just seven percent of the time in the red zone that was the second least of any team except for the jets so you might think well maybe ebron missed a bunch of games you know, he only only missed three games even though he's injury prone it's not as if he wasn't there all year he was available to them well maybe he was helping block on offensive line the offensive line was the seventh healthiest in the nfl and Ebron is a bad pass blocker. He only blocked on 27 out of a total of 749 snaps last year for pass blocking. Um, only Delaney Walker and Kobe, Kobe Flaner did it less. So he wasn't there pass blocking. It's just that Stafford was not targeting that tight end position. And the other thing is that Ebron is not very explosive. His YAS percentage, which I talked about before, was 107th out of all receivers last year. He was near the tight ends uh, like Jesse James and Jack Doyle, that tier of explosiveness last year. Um, So what you have to do if you're going to buy Ebron is is assume that not just he's going to get Bolden's targets, but the offense is going to philosophically change and target the tight end more often, particularly inside the red zone, which is something it basically did least of any team last year other than the Jets who didn't have a tight end and never threw the ball to a tight end. So it's tough, but... If you feel he'll get those targets and the team's going to change and focus on him, absolutely. At tight end 14, he's going to have volume. But I want him to be targeted more inside of the red zone. And right now, I absolutely can't compare him to the red zone reindeer whatsoever. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it until I see it, until I see Cooter draw it up that way. I can't do it.
0: Totally fair. One last tight end that I like that we have ranked higher than consensus. Playerprofile.com forward slash player dash rankings to see our seasonal ranks, dynasty ranks. Jason Witten. Jason Witten, top five last year in target share, among other key metrics. But Jason Witten has been dismissed
1: and discarded. I'm not ready to do that with Jason Witten. Are you due to the efficiency of Dak? I don't think that I am. I mean, Dak is another guy who really. I mean, it's hard to say this for a quarterback who led his team to the playoffs like that, but it, his passing performance last year was overlooked and underrated. Um, I, I, th- I think Jason Witten. You know, he he's he's up there with with inability to be explosive, but he's dependable. He's reliable. And until he completely breaks down, um, you know, he's running on a spare right now, but he's kind of like that go-to.
0: He's fine, Warren. He's fine. 85% contested catch rate last year, number two among NFL tight ends. We talked about that bizarre Mike Evans red zone reception to touchdown ratio. He actually had more touchdowns than red zone receptions. Jason Witten is the polar opposite end of that ratio. 12 red zone receptions, number two in the NFL, only three touchdowns. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's going to score some touchdowns this year. I know for two seasons in a row he hasn't scored more than three touchdowns, but I think this is the year
1: that he gets lucky in the end zone. Why not? Well, the, this is the other good part. Jason Garrett, does, it, for all of his flaws, he does a good job of scheming players. That's one of the reasons why Dak had such a good performance last year. I mean, he's great on his deep passes. He was, he was able to understand who the open receiver is going to be. And Jason Witten runs the right routes, gets to the right spot, and has, like you said, a very good contested catch rate. He's dependable. And so... He's not explosive like he once was. He he's not going to get open under close coverage. But if he gets targeted, he's very good at catching the ball. And he's very good at being dependable. So I don't have any problem with people thinking that he can still perform this upcoming season. And if he's got regression working in his favor as well, you know, all the better reason to like him a little bit.
0: You made it to the end. This is the last question. Can you believe it? Your throat made it to the end. We should let the audience know. What happened to your vocal cords?
1: Uh, Well, that's a long story. But um, I basically was exposed to carbon monoxide in my home office thanks to the prior homeowners being jackasses. What do they do? A hot water heater produces uh, carbon monoxide uh, and also other toxic products from natural gas combustion. And there needs to be an independent line that filters that exhaust directly outdoors outside of the house. These people took and renovated the basement and added a bathroom down here. And to save money, tied in a the e- exhaust duct From the bathroom fan, instead of running that independently on a separate line outside, ran that into a T with the hot water heater exhaust line. Effectively, what ends up happening is when that hot water heater is running and producing that exhaust, which needs to leave that line, it's blowing it into the bathroom. It goes into the bathroom. Oh, those fuckers. Oh, my God frankly, I'm lucky that I'm not dead. It's weird to say that, but it's true. And I lost my voice for about a month uh, due to swelling in my vocal cords. How did you figure it out? How did you crack the, the riddle? What the hell was it happening? We got a new hot water heater put in and it had a more powerful fan and was sending more fumes back into that bathroom. And while carbon monoxide uh. doesn't smell, some of the other products of natural gas combustion do have a slight odor. And so I sensed, I was smelling something, but I couldn't tell what it was, and within less than two days, I completely lost my voice, and I ran some tests. I'm an engineer. I'm a professional engineer. I have a license in that. That was what I studied at school with civil engineering, so I suspected that something was going on there because every time the hot water heater kicked on, I could feel air coming out of that vent, and then there was condensation that was being produced on the ceiling that I could see. And so I'm frustrated and trying to tell my wife about this and the HVAC company about this, but I'm having to type into an app that I downloaded off the internet and press speak, and it would speak my words in a robotic voice because I couldn't talk at all. And it's it's the worst having uh, being unable to talk and try to explain something technical like that too to somebody. And of course the HVAC company came back out here and didn't believe anybody would tie that line in. So they told me I'm wrong. Nobody would ever do that. That's so hazardous. Nobody would do that. We don't even need to check that. And it wasn't after 30 minutes of me pleading with them that he finally cut a hole in the roof and was like, holy shit, you're right. They did this. And, uh, so yeah, I'm lucky my wife and kids are okay. And I'm just hoping my voice, gets back to full health it's still definitely not there yet but it's on the way
0: you sound great you're back man you're back baby thank god this is one of those things man random negligence can fucking kill people god damn those people let's inject some positivity into the end of the show get you out of here on this one question there are some wide receivers that i'm still grasping onto a glimmer of hope that they could one day figure it out do you have that guy He's been in the league a few years and he hasn't figured it out. And you still are hopeful that one day you're going to look at the box score and go, oh shit. Are you a truther for any player, Warren Sharp? I, I really can't say that there's somebody who jumps out to me. I- Why does this not surprise me? The handicapping expert, the guy that the Vegas Sharks look to, is a truther for no one. <laughs> is a truther for no one.
1: It's 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 ironic, but I mean, I definitely-
0: No, 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 no. I just ended the show on that. So I walk every day in those Kirk Cousins douche face shoes. So I understand. I almost reported this to my fantasy league as a bug in their ADP page. And they said, no, this is how the community values Tyreek Hill. And at that point, I just threw my papers in the air. They're good. They're good. They're good. They're good. Oh, my God! Everyone's hurt. Warren Sharp, the legend. There's not one reference to fantasy football on that entire show sheet. Did you notice that?
1: Why is the perception so different between Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins? And I think fantasy football plays a big deal. Oh, oh, oh. You, Your voice. Every syllable
0: I want to save for this show. (laughs) Right? 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 I'm like a football coach that's demanding, and sometimes the guest will show up and and they won't know what they're capable of until they get pushed. And we're going to see what Warren Sharp is capable of with his voice that we understand is still in rehabilitation mode. We're going to try to maybe push it a little bit and see just to test it. We're not going to test it too much. You know, we don't want you to lose your voice again, but we're just going to push it until we get to a place where okay. All right, you're starting to fade, Warren. I'll be honest with you. If you're starting to try to, if you're fading, you're a podcast gladiator right now.
1: Yeah, I hear you. Well, the other, the other thing is too, due to your style, I'll let you roll as you need to, and uh, and that'll save my voice for some parts.
0: That's right. That's what. That's the underrated thing about having me as a host, is that I eat up airtime, and that allows the guests to gather themselves for the next question or for rebuttal that's the most underrated thing about me as a host is that aspect of it that I clear out the lane so that you can post up or that you can call for the ball at the key and then you can just drive to the basket I love it underrated part about me right there you nailed it you're Cole Beasley out there running around you're like where this is great oh because Des Bryant's occupying defenders Unsustainable. Shit! Just drafted him in a Scott Fishbowl. Damn it! Fuck! You're predicting the Patriots to change their philosophy. You're predicting the Patriots to convert from a run oriented team to a pass oriented team in 2017. Now, beyond the acquisition of Brandon Cooks, why do you feel so strongly about this
1: philosophical shift? this this was a page on the book where i was actually saying that that is what i'm hearing from a lot of people that they'll become a passing team but i actually disagree i think they're going to be the way that their schedule lays out i think they're going to be more of a running team
0: oh my god oh my god wow that's embarrassing i was deciding between spencer ware and mike Gillisley, and before i talked to you i chose spencer Ware. god damn it Fuck! Wow, that's embarrassing. I knew it. I was waiting like a snake in the grass. Just waiting, waiting, biding my time. I was like, I got a team stat that Warren Sharp may not have. I'm going to wait for the right moment.
1: You did all of that. That was, that was good. Please don't.
0: Kyle Rudolph, the Red Zone Reindeer.
1: Frankly, I'm lucky that I'm not dead.
0: You can do anything if you tell people in advance. That's what—that's one of the things. That, that's one of the tricks of psychology I've learned. If you tell someone in advance you're going to do this, I could say, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to punch you in the arm. They're like, oh, that's going to hurt, but okay, I guess. I'm going to keep you on this podcast as long as possible. Oh, okay, I guess.
1: I hey, I told you, it wasn't a sneak attack. Frankly, I'm lucky that I'm not dead.
0: You sound great. The guide is great. You're great. I'm happy you're alive. Thank God and thank you.